Hey everybody, I'm Chad Eckerd. This is the Fantasy Golf Pod Strategy Podcast. During the quarantine shutdown, I conducted interviews with all the industry insiders and I've highlighted what I've learned and the best advice that I received from those interviews I've chopped up and I put into this podcast for you right now, right here. Hope you enjoy. Hope you learned something. Let's get some winners. Hashtag mega profit in 2021. Good luck out there. Thanks for watching. Pat Mayo is here today to speak to the fantasy golf pod. Are you confused, Pat? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Not going to lie to you. <laughs> So let's talk about the research and what you do each week because you're doing more than just golf. You're doing other sports and everything. But for your golf process, what's it like? You got the show on Monday that you're looking at the betting board, and then you do Tuesdays. You got the DraftKings shows, usually Rick Rungood or Ben Rosser or something like that. What, do you make lineups even? Do you play DraftKings? Do you even have time for this crap? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm usually filling out lineups when, or at least constructing lineups. I, I basically, since Fantasy National has come along, it's really sped up the process. I remember doing my golf research and having like 12 tabs open at the top of my screen. Like, I need a course history page. I need eight separate stat pages on PGA Tour just to open and look at. And they're all shit anyway, because they just tell you who's been doing well for the entire season. Like, if we're into June, you know, Brennan Todd's numbers from October probably aren't telling me too much at this point when he went on his hot run. Let's see how he's been doing recently. So that was sort of the impetus behind Fantasy National in the first place, was that it'll be good for users because it's super easy to make lineups. And that's how I make all my lineups on there. I, you know, I star my players, I weight my percentages, I hit export lineups. It actually doesn't take very long at all. But the research process, I mean, a new tournament and a major is a little bit different, but since there are so many repeat courses on the PGA Tour, like I'll go back and read my last three years worth of columns before I write my next column, which usually comes out on Monday mornings. That's the first piece of media that comes out for me. And that's just sort of encapsulating all my thoughts. Like there's a lot of similar information year to year because some stuff doesn't change but like oh why did I pick that guy last year why was I so wrong about that guy I'd like to say why was I so right about that guy but that so rarely happens that why was I wrong was it he had a shitty tournament and it was just that was my process wrong I like to refine it every single year and try to reflect that in the new column and that reflects in my research too like what did I miss so if I go back and because I save all my models on Fantasy National, it's like, why did I weight these things? I can go back and read why I weighted those things. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't work. What do I need to do to adjust? Was it one bad year? Is that an outlier year? So that's really where the research process goes in. Like, you know the names. You know, if you do this every week, you know the baseline skills of even the 150th ranked player in the field that week. Like, you know who the back-end guys are. Maybe at the beginning of the year when they're new web guys, then you have to let stuff play out a little bit. But once you're into the, like the mid-season form, like even by February with tournaments going, you know who the $6,000 players are. They're not absolute jabronis. They're guys that play every single week. A contributor to Osmo.com, Ben Raza. What up, dude? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, man. Specifically on golf, do you use the same process each week? Where do you start? I know you have to do a show on Mondays, Tuesdays. I mean, you're basically starting the research just by being in the position you're in. But does that change? Or how, how does your weekly process look like? Are you a one lineup guy? Do you use 20? Do you use a player pool? Or you use 150 lineups? Tell us about your weekly process. So yeah, that's obviously a great question. And I think it, I'm, I try to describe myself as a chameleon where I really don't have a regimented process. I think it's important to tailor yourself to a week and how you're doing and what's going on. Uh, I build by hand. So that's really unique. I think most people do not. Uh, I'll build about 50 to 75 
uh, on a given week. Rarely will I go to 150. That's just too much. Uh, We usually like to get 50 to 75. And I I kind of build like a pyramid. Uh, So I put those in in the large field GPPs. And then I whittle them down. And I'll take, say, 20 of them. And I'll put them in the next tier of buy-ins. And then I'll take 10 of those, Ah. put them in maybe some of the expensive tournaments. And then I take like two of those or three of those in in the three entry max than a single entry. So if I connect the right lineup, I really can do damage because it's kind of like a pyramid, like I described it. Now, are you deciding the lineups randomly? Or are you looking at the 150 and you're like, dude, I really like this one and picking and plucking them specifically? So it, it's certainly not random. I don't want to say it's random. Okay. Uh, obviously, if I knew which was my best lineup, I would just use that lineup. Of course, it's not that simple. <laughs> but what I'm really trying to do is tailor the lineup to the right, you know, leverage and structure of the tournament. You know, I'm a firm believer in a 200-man tournament. You need to be a little different than it when you're going against 100,000 people. Uh, so I really try to be cognizant of putting the right lineups in the right tournaments and seeing if I can get uh, the right lineup in the right thing. Okay. Um, now, I've known you as more of a – you used to be at least. Maybe this has changed. We can talk about it. But like a game theory player and just – Knowing, you know what, no one knows anything, anything can happen, golf's a variant sport, uh, going with a low-owned guy usually is something better. Now, before you answer, I know things have a little bit changed, and I wanted to get your opinions on it. Starting in the middle of the NFL season, we saw Adam, Adam Levitan spoke on this, that people were leveling, leveling themselves by not using the best plays because they were just trying to get, they were just too galaxy-braining it. Um, is this happening in golf now? Because we've seen like in the first couple months, chalk has been hitting and there's been the most owned guys have been doing okay. So are we going to get to a point where it's almost like the NFL, where if you get too cute, you almost get, take yourself out of it and level yourself. So there's definitely something to that. Um, again, I'll go back to the format. So if you're in a really top heavy tournament, I'm going to still embrace that because you only need to be right very few times to get a two years worth of buy-ins in something that's a little more structured. Uh, I think there, you're absolutely right. There is something to fading guys just purely on ownership. You got to be careful with that because if, if they are a fantastic play uh, there's something to be said on that. So I try to strike the right right balance. Obviously uh, I'm not perfect on that as no one Mm -hmm. is, but I do think you have to consider both sides of it. Okay. Now you probably, I've, I've, Hey, you were one of the people that actually has been nice to us along the way when we had 300 followers and no one wanted to talk to us. You were giving us insight and I was using you on our pod. Uh, you're, you've preached this thousands of times. I've watched it on Mayo and other shows that, hey, what are your strategies? Oh, it's the same stuff. But can you give us kind of like an overall one thing that's the most important thing kind of thing? Sure. I mean, you know, Obviously, if you're talking about DFS golf, you mentioned high variance sport. Uh, I think you, you really can't be too results oriented, not just in your DFS, but within the players themselves. Uh, try to find out why. I know that's pretty simple, but if you see a guy got cut, figure out why he got cut. Did he have a hole where he made a 10? Well, that's different than if he just played bad. Could he not putt? Uh, that's different than if he couldn't drive the ball. Um, And if you just look at, did he make the cut or miss the cut? You're really missing small edges. And then, you know, going forward, you can kind of be ahead of the curve for some people that are just looking at that macro view. Right on. The host of the Fantasy Golf Degenerates podcast, a weekly contributor at GupsCorner.com, Kenny Kim. Welcome. What up, dude? 
Chad, man, thanks for having me. Glad to be on. So you write the course preview. You've got that extensive course breakdown. You kind of probably have a nice little knowledge base of each course out there. Do you think course history matters? Are you a course history truther? Yeah, I think it. I don't think it's as big as I once thought it was, but I still look at it. Uh, in my process, it's probably the fourth or fifth thing I look at, one of the bottom ones. Um, you know, if a guy consistently plays, well, of course, I mean, a limited course history really doesn't mean shit. You know, if it's like two, three, four times, it's, it, that's really nothing. But, you know, you look at some guys who've, who've played, like, a, so Charles Howell at uh, Sony or something like that, or, you know, guys who just, like, make every single cut for, like, 18 straight years or some crazy thing like that. Well, yeah, they, they, that's pro- they probably know the course pretty well. Uh, and it can also go the other way. If a guy who usually plays well – at a course, this is where it gets tricky, though, because you have to look back at, you know, uh, their their form in that time as well. They're playing a lot better now, and they played shitty at those courses those three years in a row, but they they weren't half the player they are now. Well, then that changes everything. So, you know, you look at everything. I, I don't know. I don't have a set thing, uh, you know, when it comes down to it. But, you know, course history is probably fourth or fifth. I look at it, but not as strongly as I used to. I sort of changed that up a little bit. So what's number one? Is it ownership? No, it's, it's, it's course fit and stats. Okay. You know, like, you know, if you, if, and trends on the course, like if the course, if a guy, if a, if a course has a place where it's primarily a ball striker course or something like that, where, or if it's a course where you have to uh, avoid three putts or, you know, something like that, you know, I, I mean, that would be the process. It would be the fit of the course and then the st- re- recent stats and then long-term stats. Recent, I'd go 50 rounds for my recent – 12 and 50 is what I look at. And I use Fantasy National with Moose, and I also use Gup's Corners uh, stat uh, model as well. So I have both of those going. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I'll, I'll look at that. Then I'll look at long-term stats. Uh, and then I'll look at course history and stuff like that. And then ownership comes in right there as well. Um, you know, but since I'm more of a cash player, you don't I don't care. really, yeah, yeah. And GPPs I will, but you know, in my cash lineups, I, I'll have like guys who are like 60% owned and I don't give a fuck. Do you have a pool for cash or are you playing one lineup? I play one lineup. Okay. So, so I use, yeah, I, I usually spend about 500 a week, four to 500 a week uh, in entry fees. And I'll do like 275 GPPs, 225 cash. So if I win in cash with that one lineup, it's going to be a winning week because, you know, I'm not going to not win anything in GPPs hopefully hopefully you know you you are known as the cash game cornerstone guy what goes into the criteria for a cash game cornerstone uh everything I just said you know uh, recent form um you know the the stats lining up it's their course and then I actually put a little bit more emphasis in course history and cash uh in GPPs I don't uh it's, it's definitely on the bottom bottom in GPPs but in cash it it, of course, it bumps up just a little bit. Okay, cool. So then uh, are you using a player pool in GPPs? And if so, how many people do you click in there? You know, I, I'm usually making close to like 70 to 100 lineups. Just depends on how much I'm spending that week, if it's 400 or 500 or sometimes I go a little bit over. Uh, and then I usually try and stay around 30 to 35 golfers in those GPP lineups. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And like I'd say, about, yeah, I'd say about 12 – anywhere from nine to 13 are going to be in the 6k range oh okay so you got a lot of flyers i like to spread that out in in that bottom range 
uh, to try and match up with the studs up top. Do you ever go all in on a guy or is who's the, you know, your one that you love the most at like 9,300 is, are you 60% exposure or is that too high? 50 is the most I'll go on a guy. Okay. So usually I have like one guy at 50, one guy at 40, and then like two, three, four guys with like 35. And that's okay. like my, that's like my core right there. Rick run good. Rick game in hell. Yes. How's it going? So now, do you use a, the same strategy each week, or do you play the same way? Do you have a player pool? What's your what's your weekly process like? Yeah, so generally, um, I don't. I actually probably play a lot less than people think. I play uh, I play a, a bit, but by the time it gets to Wednesday, by the time like I've done so much content, I've talked so much, I've done all the research i'm like i'm too tired to make lineups i don't want to go make <laughs> a thousand lineups which is kind of why the core cascade works is because you can i can make like one lineup and quickly get it into 20 entries um so i kind of do something like that but yeah so I'll, I'll play the 20 maxes i'll play a lot of the three maxes across the different across the different buy-ins and i'll kind of adjust players off of off of that same core um now we have like list i don't have my own listener league but like there's so many listener leagues right now they, if you play like less than a hundred dollars a week on DraftKings, you can probably play it rake free because yeah. there's just so I'm like I'm like oh this is rake free this is a contest I probably wouldn't play normally but like I'd be stupid not to so I'm like I'm playing all these like listener leagues or whatever um, and then yeah just kind of it all honestly it all kind of works off like the same core um, I'm I have very big weeks and I have weeks where I lose everything but I I understand that that's going to happen going into it. Now, you're also kind of known as a stat guy. <laughs> this yeah, podcast, we typically go with gut model fueled by beer. And, nice. you know, Moose hooked us up with his website two years ago or whatever. And now we're, I mean, we, we realize the value of statistics. I'm not naive and dumb. But at the same time, stats are stats. And some of them are a little bit harder to understand. And golf especially is a little bit newer in terms of strokes gain stats. But I was going to ask you, what, uh, what's your favorite stat? Like, what's one that you rely on? Yeah, so for me, it's strokes gained tee to green. Um, just because, in general, the strokes gained data is, it is the best data that we have. Like, there's a lot of issues with golf stats. They're playing, it's kind of like baseball too, right? Like, oh, this guy hit 35 home runs, but he played in the smallest park in the league um well this guy you know he's he had success here but he only played certain courses right they're playing different venues every single week they're playing in different conditions it's already a volatile sport so like yes i understand there are problems with golf stats however the strokes gain stuff is the best stuff that we have totally. so i want to look at the best stuff that we have and say okay which part of the strokes gains stats do i care about the most obviously strokes gain total that's fine but strokes gain t to green historically has been the stickiest, right? You know, it's, it's the putting that's volatile. It's, you know, Keegan Bradley one week is going to be the best putter in the field. Um, you know, Wes Bryan is never going to lead the field in strokes gained off the tee. He's never going to wake up and he's never going to bomb a ball 350 yards. It's just not going to happen. So just by like the nature of the game, the, the, the volatility of putting is so much that uh, I like to remove it, but you're right. You're right. I get so many emails. I get so many tweets like Rick, this guy's number one in, um, you know, approaches from 150 to 175 out of the right rough. And I'm like, Ooh, 
we've we've gone too far like yeah, we've okay. gone too far there's, there's first of all the sample size on that is like six shots all year and just like it doesn't matter like it doesn't no, and people matter. go with the football mentality because football and like those stats they're somewhat predictable now yeah. is there a predictive stat what is a predictive stat or yeah, do you have so, something okay. that like is a rule of thumb? Because for us, we say, I mean, this is what you just basically alluded to. If they're good with the irons, but they're bad with the putter, pick them the next week because that'll flip the putter will go decent and then their irons will stay hot. Is that kind of just one of the rules you live by or is there any others that you kind of? Sure. Yeah. So I think it's funny that you mentioned predictive stats because this is like a soap, like I can hop up on my soapbox for this one. Um, a lot of the industry does a ton of reactive stats. So what I use, I used, I don't know if I see it. Doesn't we do? Okay. We tweet out all the like narrative stats and shit. Yeah, and all or at least, doesn't okay, so lead to anything. I feel like I don't see it as much anymore, but I used to always see, hey, the winners here um, led the, f- were top five in strokes game putting. I'm like, well, no well, shit. No, like, of course. <laughs> like, you're just saying the best player won. Like, that's like, yeah, of course yeah. it was. It's every week, it's all the time. Or, you know, the, or um, 25% of the shots come from this range, which is like, I guess, but like guys are doing it differently. Like that's not really, so what I do is I, I, I try to build a, like profiles of golfers, right? So I run, uh, I run a regression model for each course that says, okay, what skill sets historically over the last 12 years, you know, who, if, if they have found success, uh, what are their skill sets? And then kind of look at what those skill sets are for this week. So a lot of times you'll see that like, oh, Strokes gain approach is more important here at TPC San Antonio in theory than any other course on the tour. So I'm like, okay, maybe this week I'll look at strokes gained approach or some of them have like, um, I think it's Kapalua. The greens are massive and three putt avoidance was like, if you led the tour or if you were uh, doing well on tour that year in three putt avoidance, you found success at Kapalua. And it's just kind of like that. I'm just trying to build profiles of golfers that have had success in the past at this course and then looking and see, seeing who fits that profile for this week. DFS Golfer 23, Jason Russell is here. What's up, man? What, what, are you, what beer are you packing tonight? What's going on? What about your process, though? That's kind of what we've been asking people about. We're trying to get a hold of people that have experience and who play for a lot of money and that know what they're doing and make sure we get from them. How many players are in your player pool? That's a huge question. Do you yeah. care about ownership? What yeah. are you doing each week? Is it the same thing every week? Give us a rundown of like just your basic overall. I know you talk about almost every week yeah. on your pod with Ben about the same shit, but just for a quick rundown. No, no, that stuff though, 40 to 50 guys right away. I'll give you a rapid fire. 40 to 50 guys. It's above average from what I've learned in the industry. It's just because 25 of them will be like one or two percent or one lineup, two lineups. It's just dark. Of 150 are you doing? Yeah. Are you doing more than okay. 150? Yep. So um, I'm running in the on the five dollar on DraftKings that they do each week. That's a hundred hundred K guaranteed. I'm running 150 lineups. The other contests though, so the four hundred dollar is the max I've played this year. Um, oh, I haven't. You don't do the five fifty five. Uh, well, whichever one it is the four hundred or the five hundred, they switch it every week, right? Sometimes it's the three hundred. So that level, yes. In years past, I've gone up. I've gone all the way to the Thunderdome, right? When things were going good. But I realized with the way I play, it can go south in a hurry. And I, I don't come from endless bankroll, right? You know, this is, you know, I live in a, a good house. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not struggling by any means. But I don't like to play that level. It, it makes me sweat a little too much. The 500 is a perfect sweat for me. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm comfortable there. So um, find the right sweat. Finding the right sweat is important. And then 
when exactly. you find it and you get it and you love it and it's the weekly process, golf is the best, right? You love fantasy golf. So there's nothing better. So then what, like, do you have a guy you're going 50% on is your most exposure to a guy? I mean, kind of explain just like you have 50 guys, you're sure. talking about using 10 or 15 of them at one or two lineups, which is yeah. probably a great strategy. If you almost, you could almost go a little more than that in terms of players. I, I, I mean, you definitely could. Um, I, there are weeks where I have upwards of 60, you know, when I run my, my fantasy crunchers, the tool that I use for the MME, the, uh, the single entry stuff. I always hand build that because what I'm looking is in, in the $500, when you go into ownership, which was one of your questions, my total ownership of the lineup is going to be 80%. It's never going to be more than that in those single entry stuff because I'm looking for leverage there. That's where I'm looking to either win or probably finish in last. It's honestly the way that I'm playing it. Um, it's just the way that I always have, which is why you'll see me have speed in there a lot because ownership matters. I know I'm going to get low ownership now on it. Um, so for me in those contests, yeah, in single entry, I am only looking at ownership purely because that's where you get the most leverage. Now, again, if you're doing 150 lineups, you know, sure you can cover a ton of guys. Like you said, I'll have 50% in a weak field. I'll have 70% of the guy who I think I'm going to win. So more aggressive in weak fields in fields like majors, 40% at most. Okay. So you're like in, you like to win or lose. I mean, we're what not else? out here to nickel and dime ourselves, pay some rake. Go bigger, go um, home. Yeah, definitely. What about course history? Are you into course history? Or are you kind of a, uh, you'll take it, but leave it. All right, so it's funny that you bring up the squabbles that I, that I get in from time to time, right? <laughs> so I don't know if you know this, but I was one of the OGs of this battle. It was between me and Data Golf, and it was at the Sony Open when I was out in Hawaii. Yeah, so they put out an article. They put out an article that was like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, that's not what the pros say. Right. So, Or it matters to a point. It definitely matters. Kidding me? I can assure you that some professional golfers play way better on a specific golf course than they do another one. That's a fact. That's whether you believe in it's because it's its history or something else, that is you you, you can decide that. I don't really you know, I don't care. My example is I play better at Dwan and Bloomington because I fucking play it all the time. Like clearly then of course I've never played in my life before. Like think about you in your life. So I, I used to live on a, in Rhode Island, I used to live on a, on a golf course. It was like 3,300 yards, 3,200 yards apart. Uh, it was a nine holer. I used to go around twice. You know, I'm like a single digit, you know, six or seven. I haven't shot in the sixties that often. I shot in the sixties like seven times at that course because I knew it so well. It's like, my course history was unbelievable there. I was the club champion there, and I never even come close to the club champion anywhere else. You know, it's right. so yeah, it, it matters. Bets, that's right. We got Mike Miller, Smart Golf Bets on Twitter, smartgolfbets.com. Mike, welcome. Thank you for coming on. How are you? Hey, Chad. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm good. What about your golf process? Each week, you put out these sheets for all of the tours. So this requires a hell of a database or a lot of effort. I don't know how you do it. What's your process like and how do you get all the information? Where are you finding? Explain sort of like what we can find on smartgolfbets.com. I, I try and cover every tournament on which there's betting, uh, which is three rounds or more. 
um, which is as many as 12 tournaments a week and as few as four. Um, every, every one is from a recognized proper tour. Um, so they all have a website, so they all have a field. So as soon as a field comes up, like uh, the PGA, it's uh, what, 5.30 p.m. Fridays. Mm -hmm. uh, European tour, it's like a week earlier. Um, it varies from tour to tour, but I construct fields before tournament week. Um, then over the weekend, I price them all. I price every player in every tournament uh, before the market opens, which is something I'd probably recommend to serious TFS players. Do your own salaries before the market comes out because I'm looking for value. You guys are looking for value too. I mean, you've got the extra element of, of how owned is the guy going to be. But if you think his salary should be 9600 and it's 8000 um, I might point you in a particular direction. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I started the software off in 2010. So I've been entering results into it weekly since then. So it's just a matter of keeping on top of it. It's half ruined a couple of family holidays, but uh, <laughs> you just can't stop. Okay, your sheets, how what I use, you go, you look at this spreadsheet. Basically, it's got the name, it's got Mike's odds, it's got some stuff about their age and world ranking or whatever. I don't know. And then it has recent form and course history, both, I mean, whatever length of, what is it, 12 weeks? I mean, you got a long recent form, don't you? Yeah, I can do up to 26 weeks. I usually just play about 12 and maybe 10 years of course form. Okay. Um, but if there's, no, if there's no course form, maybe I'll put in 18 weeks of recent form just to okay. fill the screen. Are you more of a recent form guy or are you more of a course history guy? Are you a recent form or course history? Are you a course history truther? What do you rely on more? Uh, recent form by far. Um, in fact, I've, I've calculated the extent to which you should rely on one or the other. And I really attach that to every course in my database. It averages out at about 6% course form, 94% recent form. Okay. Uh, there's a few courses where the course form element is as high as 20%. The same players seem to perform well there year after year after year. And there's a lot of courses where course form is completely irrelevant. Uh, but I just publish it because that's all I've got. I don't believe in shot statistics because I think they're already included in the form. Um, so, yeah, from, from 2010, it basically hasn't changed. Right. And I've won money betting every year um, since 2010 as well. Okay. Drew Matthews, Red Kachik. What up, dude? How you doing? Doing good, man. I actually, I got something for you too. Let's, let's do this together. <laughs> well, Cheers. are you using a player pool? Do you do that process? Do you cut down to a certain number or do you just kind of build uniquely? What's your overall strategy? I definitely cut down. Um, it gets usually, to be honest, I usually start from the bottom. Like I think so many people spend time trying to cut the fat from like the 10 K range or the nine K range. And personally, I mean, we talk about it on the podcast every week, but you start in the 10K range and you're like, you know, all these guys are good. Like, there's really nothing bad. You could say bad course fit for somebody, but honestly, they're all going to play well probably at that event. The problem well, and is. And DraftKings knows the pricing. Or they, you know, they know it's the course fit for Bubba and they put them ahead of everybody else. For, yeah. So they're not, you're not getting an advantage in the 10K and 8K. Right. 8K. 
So I spend the majority of my time on like the value guys, because those are the ones that I think when people just run like a blanket um, model that, you know, looks at the last 24 rounds or whatever, you're going to miss out a lot of these lower price guys that maybe have an uptick last week. And those are really the values that I look for because they're, they're priced down there for a reason. They don't have good long-term stats. They'll never have good long-term stats most likely. Um, So most of my research goes to the value guys because those are the ones that usually, you know, will pop up and finish top 10, um, like a Russell Henley or Patrick Reed, like at the Masters. Um, but that's really where my process goes. It's a, a kind of a bottoms-up approach. The top guys, man, I can mix and match if I was max entering. I, usually I'm, I'm fine wide open with them. Are you playing the guys that won you a million dollars more than you would have normally? <laughs> or do you no. have brand plays? Uh, are no. you on Russell Henley now forever or whatever? No, I will play Charlie Hoffman at the Masters, and that, I mean, I don't think it's just because he won me a million dollars, but um, yeah, Spieth was in that lineup, and I, I'm not sure the last time I played Spieth, so no, I okay, have no okay. loyalty to the guys that won me any money. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, and then, now, you're stat guy, kind of. You know stats, and you do stats. Same with Rick Rungood. We kind of talked to him about what his favorite stat is. Do you have a favorite stat or one that you kind of rely on as your go-to? Or if you're talking to your dad's friends, and you're like, Oh, I'm into stats. And they're like, okay, tell me, what's the one you give them? I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it from a DFS aspect, it would always be stroke skin approach from, from the overall aspect. I think people get into a trap of looking at that um, more so than T to green. Like some things I've found lately, um, they tend to counteract like a guy that loses strokes off the tee will gain an absurd amount of strokes approach. So like, if you're just looking at approach, all of a sudden Brian Gay shows up because he's been in his 200 yard shots close. Um, and I, I think using an overall, you know, look at things is a good way to go. But if I were to ever talk to anyone, it's always strokes and approach. Like if they're not hitting it close, they're not going to have a lot of opportunities. So that's, that's usually my number one. And everybody knows the approaches will stick around for a couple of weeks. It's the putter that comes back and goes, Oh yeah. You know, that's what people have been saying. And you, uh, we tweet these stats that are narratives that are kind of noisy and that really don't predict much. What's, your go-to like predictive is there a predictive stat there's not really a predictive stat from a week-to-week basis just because so much can change um i mean looking at a high level stuff it's the best way to do it like looking like i said look the the shorter term stats for like the cheap guys is more predictive for them the longer term stats for the more expensive guys is more predictive for them so um, an example of that is like Rory shoots 77 one round. People don't play him in showdown the next day. Like, dude, you, you probably want to play Rory after 77. Um, okay. Now the guy that, you know, shot 68, that's a no name last Friday or last Sunday to finish the tournament. People are less likely to go play him. They think, oh, it's just a fluke. No, I'd rather play him like the next week. He's probably got some kind of momentum and keep that going. He's $6,900. So it, well, it no, for, as a golfer yourself, you go do something on a Sunday, a week later, you're not bad all of a sudden, right? You're still oh, yeah. decent. Like, yeah, I for sure. Like it can last a while. Yeah. And a lot of it is, is confidence. Like these guys are good. I mean, like the, the guys that we, we make fun of because they're so cheap, like they're still really good players. They're just not at the level of a Rory, a, a Tiger, Jason Day, et cetera. Um, but yeah, they're, if they, if they get it, like I love looking at guys, we talk about course history kind of off and on. But you look at guys that have played a golf course and have shot 65 before on that course, like that's good course history in my opinion. I don't care if he's, you know, he finished T40th. Like give, show me a guy that shot 65 or 64 at one event on that course. That's, that's a good sign for him at the next week or the, or the next year or the next year. Um, 
you've won a million bucks. You've got a podcast. You got a website. Is there one thing that you give as like the go-to advice? Is it to play the the lineup ownership game? Is it to you know fade the top price guy? Say sometimes. Is there a rule of thumb that you kind of live by? Or not? Not really. Um, yeah, I mean every every slate's a little bit different. I think people overthink ownership to a degree where okay. they they see a chalky guy and like granted a lot of the chalk goes to the higher price guys like in a way you could use chalk to determine who's a good play in some aspects we'll just yeah. use that as like a very cool. you know generic phrase um but yeah it, you know you go down the list if you're trying to hand build a lineup and you just pick the chalk then yeah that's that's no good but usually if you have a good player pool you're gonna have pieces of guys that you know no one's gonna be on you have pieces of you know the chalkier higher price guys so um, the way I always look at it is like, what's their likelihood of exceeding their price tag? And I think I've heard Jonathan Bale say this before for like NBA or baseball, but like if, you know, Rory McIlroy is going to be 30% owned at, you know, 10.9 K he's probably got a 10, you know, a 30% or higher likelihood of, of passing that value. Um, if you've got a 7 K guy that sucks and he's going to be 30%, probably not, man. They're like that's, that's where I draw the line. So, okay. um, that's how I view ownership is like, what's their likelihood to surpass that? If he's 50%, he's probably got, doesn't have a 50% chance to surpass the value and golf's volatile, like not to sell that short. It's definitely volatile. Yeah. I mean, we, I basically said that on every single one of these interviews. Yeah. It's volatile. So don't think that this guy's going to be perfect every time because he's, more likely to screw you. I like I like to stick with you know your own reasons for playing someone. Like just baiting someone because they're going to be chalk. It's hard for me to live with that. Like maybe that's the right opportunity in in certain tournaments. But if you're gonna at the end of the week and like I faded him because he's going to be chalky. Okay, well that was a bad mistake on your part. Yeah. Man. Like live with your decisions. Figure out the best way to do that. Right, and I've talked to Ben Raza about this. This is kind of the Adam Levitan. NFL sentiment is that the, you're overthinking, you're leveling yourself, and to not play that running back that's forty six hundred dollars just because he's seventy percent on. Well, yeah, you're saving there, and he's going to score a lot. Like that, you've got to just well, do it. Sometimes. That's the good example. Like if he's seventy percent on, he probably has a ninety percent chance of exceeding his price tag if he was, you know, min priced at thirty five hundred or something. So, like those are the examples I would use for ownership where. Yeah, he's 70% on. That's not chalk at his price and workload coming up. Right, and that's what Levitan's basically like. He should have been 100. I don't know what you guys are doing. Exactly. That's exactly the right scenario. The future of fantasy himself. Josh Kopp, how you doing? Hey, man. Good good to be here. Cheers. Yeah. Let's talk about your process. You are a DFS player since you at least provide the insight for it. Uh, we talked the last time, and you only make a couple lineups a week because you want to focus. You want to get real serious about those lineups. Has that changed? Are you still into that same process? Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, – my core core plays are still uh, three, three, uh, three entry max contest GPPs because uh, I feel like those are – you know, when you look at contest selection, I try to minimize the amount of exposure I have to the – you know, anything over 10,000 entries. Good. So when I, so the three entries, three entry max are usually perfect for that. Cause you can get like, you know, a uh, $20 three entry max. There might be like 6,000, 6,000 entries or something in it. And you just have a lot better chance to, 
to increase your RI when you're playing those events. So that's uh, that's where I focus on. Okay. If you so you create three lineups, let's say on those lineups, are you using the same guy on all three lineups? Typically, are you going like 18 total people and nobody's the mm -hmm. same? Have you got some overlap? How do you create a player pool for just three teams? Yeah, I never do 100% on one guy. Uh, uh, I do mm, maybe two or three people uh, will overlap on two lineups. Uh, so I don't, I don't really get specific with like, I only play this number of people or whatever, but, uh, you know, I don't over overlap, uh, more than, more than three guys probably out of those three lineups. Are you worried typically about a person's ownership percentage? Are you worried about the projected ownership, a chalky name? Do you typically fade chalk or do you eat chalk? Does it even bother oh, yeah. you? Well, I mean, ownership is huge, like in golf and I guess other sports too, but I feel like in golf, there's so much variance that, uh, I mean, you could just use like Vegas odds. And if you factor in the ownership the right way, you can be a profitable player. Like the difference between like a perfect ranking or like a really good ranking system and just going down Vegas odds, they're not going to be major differences. So like, I feel like, you just got to find out where the field is and kind of uh, work around that. But I, I won't fade, you know, if Rory's projected 25% ownership, I'm not going to fade that okay. just because it depends on the player. But if like Billy Horschel's projected 25% ownership, <laughs> what was that your guy? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then, then you start to fade that. What about like the 6,500 Max Homa coming off two great tournaments and DraftKings hasn't caught up yet? Do you feel like you have you can eat that chalk or could do you fade that still? I, I'm usually always fading that kind of play. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah. From England, Lee Aldrick. Yeah, <laughs> I like Lee. How you doing? It's bloody good to see you, mate. Yeah, that's a good accent. Better than mine. Thank you. <laughs> Here's to you. Cheers. Nice, a pint. Oh, wow, look at that big blast. Yeah, nice pint of uh, Zumba. Very nice, very nice. Okay, great, cheers. Great drink. I only play GPP. I don't, I don't do the uh, cash games. Um, it's kind of for fun for me. I don't, I don't want to grind it out, but I do want to enter those uh, events with the big prizes if I'm putting six, seven, eight hours of researching <laughs> every week, then I may as well play the GPPs and see what happens. Well, so are you having more success on the week-long stuff, or are you having more success on the round-by-round -round showdown? Um, pr probably the, the four-week events, uh, but also some success on the, on the showdowns as well. It's just that I've only be, been playing the showdowns. Well, they've only been out for, for a year and a half or so. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, a bit, bit of a mixture, really. What have you found is like a rule of thumb for your showdown strategy? Do you have a rule of thumb? Yeah. I'd, I like to, um, I drill a lot into the performance of putting on certain greens. So when it comes to a showdown, if uh, if a player hasn't putted uh, particularly well in one round, but I know that they are a good putter on those surfaces, then I'll target those players in the, in the next round, uh, knowing that they'll be low owned and, and possibly a little less priced. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll target those ones, knowing that if they're hitting the ball well tee to green, and I know they can put well on that surface, then the chances are the next day 
they'll come out and, and get good score. So, so that's the way I approach it. Okay, that's a decent basis for thinking on those things. But now you have a system that you've kind of put together for Fanshare Sports. This thing's called the Course Suitability Ranking. Lee, suitability, that's pretty like schmoir. Is this a fancy uh, England thing that you came up with? What's the suitability ranking? So it's just how well ranked, uh, how, how well suited that course is to the player. So depending on the power of the course, the length of the course, the grass on the course, the location of the course, and you can put all that into, uh, into the Panshare uh, Pro Dashboard. And uh, you can see which players score most points on average uh, given those conditions. So, so when you start looking into that, you can create a bit of a ranking for every player in the uh, field. So that, that's all I've done, really. I mean, it sounds a, a lot, lot better than what it is, but, but realistically, that is all it is. So is it from a spreadsheet and you came up with the formula kind of thing? Or what, how do you... What, yeah, so, you... so yeah, so it's used in the, the fan share tools that are available. And then I create a spreadsheet and then put a few extra little things in there, the, the secret source, so to speak, and then get players into a ranking and, and get that on the uh, dashboard so, so that you can see who's most suited to that course. Because there's some courses where you don't have a lot of history and course form is obviously a big thing. But I think if we can just spread it out and include a few more courses on there, you're going to get better results. So that's, that's why I've come up with the uh, course suitability ranking. What about your process? We've been trying to get everyone to tell us how they play PGA DFS on DraftKings. What's your weekly process like? How many players are in your player pool? Do you consider ownership? Do you have a routine? Do you only play three maxes? Do you use one lineup? Just give us your kind of weekly overall routine. Well, we're being fairly new to it. Um, The strategy wasn't brilliant to start with. but that's kind of changed this year. I, I thought I'd, I'd sit down and I'd work out a strategy. So my strategy for this year was to max out the mini max uh, every week because, like, like I say, I only play GPP, so I'm going to lose money, you know, a lot of weeks. So I just stick with uh, maxing out the mini max and then a couple of the sing- single entries as well. Um, and then I have a player pool probably of around 30 players um, each week. And then I just use a, a lineup generator on FanJet Sports to generate 150 lineups. Uh, so you're using on, only 30 players for 150 lineups? Do you have a lot of overlap? Uh, yeah, so, so I might manually go in and change because when you get a lot of the lower players that are down at 6,000, 6,300, because you're only using 30 players, you're going to end up with 10% ownership of them. And I don't really want 10% ownership on Chad Campbell at 6,300. So... I'll manually go in and, and I'll just swap around the, the bottom range so, so that it brings it down to about 5%. So you cashed a couple times on this mini-max thing. I, I only play that short game, 20-entry stuff. Uh, tell me more about the mini-max and why you found success there. How, how, how's the strategy on that? Yeah, so, so reading a lot and listening to a lot of podcasts about the, the strategy and, and trying to get up on that side of it, it, it seems the general consensus is the more lineups you can put in, the greater chance you are going to take taking down a GPP. Um, so yeah, so I thought I've got all this information in front of me on Fanshare, all this research that I do. Um, so why not uh, create 150 lineups at Nagel Bagels on Twitter from the Wednesday Periscopes? Let's go, Bagels is here, baby. The map and all. What up, dude? Hey, Chad. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm awesome. 
Thank you for coming on. We appreciate you coming back onto the pod, which is great. You're a guy who says stuff and you ever, you're hashtag expert maybe. Then what's yeah. your process like each week? Do you do the same prep? I know, I know you, but maybe somebody doesn't know how you play. Tell us, what do you do each week on DraftKings? Uh, well, I have a couple, it's a, that's very complicated. Uh, <laughs> it is because like I have a process to come to get my, to get my one and done pick. I got my process to build a lineup, but then I also have a process to prepare for the show. So I have to cram all this in on a Monday. While you're like working, right? Yeah. While you're it's, delivering people's mail. Are you just like yeah, multitasking? Uh, yeah, I'm just, it's one take after another. Every house, I got a different take. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, basically I like to, I use uh, Mike Miller's spreadsheet, which is a great, is a great tool that's out there for everybody to use. I use that. I'll use uh, Rob Bolton's power rankings, which are great. I send those to my dad. That's the only thing that he looks at when he makes his pick. Uh, I'll take in a couple of different columns or a couple of blogs, uh, previews the guys are right. My friend Joe over at Rotoballer and him and Spencer, those guys do a great job putting stuff together. And then I'll like the podcast that I listen to. I'll listen to Pat and Jeff and I'll listen to Kenny Kim. I listen to Gup. Uh, Rick Gaiman's got a great uh, like numbers-based uh, podcast. It's pretty good that I started, to, uh, started listening to this year. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I take in as much content as I can over those two days and I'll, I'll change my lineup a million times and I'm still trying to figure it out, man. I'm still trying your, to figure it out. Your lineup singular. Yes. You yes. have, you're the guy that plays six guys and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, now, uh, well, I wanted to talk to you about being a one lineup guy and choosing just six people. Do you, what? no. T- convince me, because you know what I do. I do 21 names, 21 lineups, 21 dollars. Convince me to just go to the one lineup thing. Why is that better? Why am I, Why should I change to be a one lineup guy? Convince me to be change. a one lineup guy. You shouldn't change. You should okay. do whatever you're comfortable with. If you want to take 21 chances at it, and you think that's your best chance to win, and that's what you want to do, and you don't want to die in any hills, and you don't want to play with any guts or gusto, <laughs> that's on you. You have to I knew this was coming. Yeah. I like to I like to make choices. I like to make the hard choices. I don't like to be stuck between three guys in the eight thousand dollar range and say, ah, you know what? I'll just play three lineups and I'll put each one of them in there. That's not a challenge. That's not that's not impressive. That doesn't impress me. I I wanted to find the guy that is gonna perform. You've I'm had success doing this. Like it's clear. Like you've I mean because you, you never the way you craft your lineup is the right way to craft your one lineup. You're not, I'm making one lineup and I'm going to use all the guys that everybody's using. Like, you don't do that. You are the opposite. No, I play one lineup. I played it in the, every contest, the same way. But lineup. you are using the, in the, your one lineup, you're not using massive chalk on every single spot in the six roster spots. You're doing unique players. Your perspective is to say, if I'm going with one lineup, I can't be duplicated, right? Well, all right, I don't want to confuse any. I don't want to confuse the audience because okay, that's not really the reason why that would happen. I'm not adverse to playing a 20% guy if I'm convinced that he's going to finish in the top five. What I am, what I am afraid of, or what I, excuse me, what I do steer away from, is 
when I hear the same like $7,800 guy on every show and he's everybody's sleeper and he's everybody's pick. Now his ownership, it might only be 14% or 23%. That doesn't really matter. It's really, this is my theory. This is what I base a lot of this on. It's really hard to pick a winner of a golf tournament. It's really hard to pick somebody to finish in the top five. It's not easy. And the, the percentage of doing that, of picking, let's just say just picking a winner over the course of 35 tournaments. If you're having a great year, how many are you going to get? You get? Six? Seven? Maybe not even. Two? Three? If you're lucky? Yeah. So that means, that means the 28 other tournaments, you're not picking you're a winner. Right. Yeah, exactly. You don't understand? That's, that's the math that I use. Now, it could be faulty. It might not be fun. But if I hear everybody picking the same guy, like, that guy's screwed. We're all the kiss of death. It's not exclusive to one person. So I try to – I play the percentages, and it's more of a a feel thing when it comes to – The nicest guy in the DFS industry, Joe Nicely. Hey, man. How are you? What's up, dude? I play – Single entry stuff, three max stuff. I'll play a little bit higher entry with smaller fields. Um, yep. So that kind of knocks your chances down of of grabbing like a huge score. Now, like in the majors, I'll play the milli, and I'll put you know multiple lineups in there. But and I've tried max entry, but it's just just not for me. Um, I definitely respect those guys that do it because um, I, I think it's definitely a skill, um, but it's just not for me. There's too much. So you're time. not using 150 lineup generators? No, no, I have before. Um, I've tinkered with it, but it's, I found out it's just not me. Um, like I said, I think it's a different skill set. Those guys that do it are really good at it, um, and I respect what they do, but it's, it's just not for me. I found my comfort level is, I always say with the exception of the majors, because I'll step it up a little bit. You know, I'll everyone fire, does. Yeah, I'll fire some at the million stuff, but mm-hmm. um, I'm I will usually never have more than twenty lineups going. That would be a lot. Um, okay, so in a twenty lineup week, typically, yeah. how many players are you using in your player pool? My player pool is probably smaller than what a lot of guys use. Um, people call it different things. Um, I like to find a core. I write, a, write an article for Rotoballer on Wednesdays called the Core Four, um, and that's kind of what I do. I like to find a core of usually four, um, but it can change a little bit, but the article's Core Four. Um, but I like to find a core, and I like to build around those guys. Um, people call it different things, but I'll try to find my core of four to six guys. Um, I'll, usually, I'll usually find the lineup that I like the best, and I'll throw it in something, you know, like, I'll put it in the 150 um, or the 222 or 333 or something like that. And then I'll build some different variations of that lineup, put it in smaller, you know, smaller entry fee. Um, so I'm usually working with around 20 guys, 25 guys. Okay. Um, that's what I like to what I like to do. The core four, what is a criteria for this core four? How do you come up with – do you open DraftKings, you see the names, and you're just like, whoa, that guy's coming at me. I'm like, Or do you go through this serious research, and then by Tuesday afternoon you figure this stuff yeah, out? What's your man, it's, process? It's different. I mean, every tournament's different. I usually start 
I mean, I guess I'll probably start earlier than most because I've got a couple articles, you know, that I have to have posted earlier in the week. Um, I do a, a course history article article called Horse for the Course, and I usually post it on Monday. Um, so usually I'm looking, the fields are finalized on Friday evening. Um, I'll usually look and see who's in the field for the next week on Friday um, and just kind of get a feel for it. Um, then over the weekend, I'll start – um, digging into course history, um, who's played well there, um, what works there at that course, what what skill is important, and I'll start looking at the guys in the field, try to kind of start narrow, narrowing it down. Um, then usually Sunday evening, Monday morning, I'll finish up the uh, horse for the course um, with the course history guys. And then by usually Tuesday evening, um, early Wednesday morning, I've got it narrowed down for the core four. A DraftKings analyst. Amazing. Reed Fowler, people. Reed T. Fowler is on our podcast. How are you doing, Reed? Good, man. Good. For your process, are you a one lineup guy? Do you play in the 20 max build contests? Mm-hmm. Do you have a player pool? What, how's your strategy? What is your weekly process like, Andre? Yeah. So uh, from, from the very start, I think it's so important. So guys see where we're getting into this or even who are part of it, right, who, who do it weekly. Uh, when the season is actually happening is you need to start with the process like anything, right? DFS is like, is like anything. It's definitely evolved since it first started. And so the leverage on what you can potentially get is not as high um, as it was before. But I, from the very start, because I'm, you know, writing the article and that's another thing as well is that I'm writing an article. So the process of me breaking down the article also clearly works to breaking down lineups. Right. And so I look at the course and I break it down from a course perspective. So the same way I'm playing golf is I take it from the hole back where, you know, I'm looking at where I want to be in my approach to the hole is, and then it's where I, it's the club I use off the tee. And so what I do is I look at the course, I look at the, you know, the length, the grass, everything, the, the specs of the course to then get an idea of how many players kind of fall into that category. Like any golfer can win on any given week. But as much as possible, I'm looking at the 155 field or whatever it is, 144, and I'm saying, can I break down, can I take away, you know, 15 to 20% of these guys just based off of course fit or the, the, the season, you know, in terms of what tournament that is, guys who do better in the Florida swing, sure. yada, yada, yada. Um, and so I take the, yeah, the course preview. And then what I do from there is I also look at the history of the past winners and then correlations of the the leaderboards of other courses that fit that description so i'm using fantasy national and a lot of these other tools um, data golf as well that you start to see right how can you build this picture and this narrative around what golfers could potentially do well here i start starring the guys right on fantasy national looking at values but so much of it now what i do that you know in terms of player pools and that's that's extremely variant it's it's personal preference you know depending on how many lineups i do i usually do 20 20 lineups, you know, I enter in a few contests. I do a single bullet, a single entry, the three max and the 20. But it's, it, it depends, right? It could range from six to eight players and then doing a scattered approach in the 6K range. Um, right. Or it could range from 12 to 15. If I really like, like for the players, for instance, I had guys probably 13 or 14 uh, of players that I really liked um, you know, more so than, than others, um, but then a scattered approach down the 6K range because that tournament, you see guys that like a Rory or a Jay Day or Tiger Woods win it, but then you also see Siwoo Kim 
Martin Keimer, who was at 90 to one when he won, start to win these tournaments. And so getting that picture of what type of tournament this is, fixing your lineup that way. But again, the last point I'm gonna make about my strategy, so much of it is, is like game theory. Totally. But it's so much, because there's so much information out there, you guys put out information on like who's made you know, most consecutive cuts, you know, who's, who's missed cuts. Like you, there's so much information that all of us are putting out and then all of us are receiving as well. A lot of it is game theory. It's, it's playing poker, right? It's how exactly. many guys I'd rather fade a, you know, 20, 35% Fleetwood at the Honda Classic and go with a Sunjay or someone else because the game theory, if for right. whatever reason, because golf is so variant, if you can box out that ownership, that's huge. And so game theory is my biggest uh, point of strategy. And we're talking to Raza or Raza, Ben Raza tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to talk to him because he's a big game theory guy and he kind of goes oh, yeah. off that a little bit. So um, knowing that, I mean, it's a, an ownership game. You want to try to get leverage wherever you can, especially yep. like you said, it's really variant. Ask now, Moose, one of the legends in the industry. His name is Michael Metzger. Yeah, but he goes by the, the Moose. Moose. The Mooseonomics. Yeah. Uh, and you're also the... I mentioned this a minute ago, the founder, starter, creator of Fantasy National, a beautiful yeah. website that is very helpful. Um, pretty much the, the DFS PGA website. Everyone uses it. We're trying to get better at this stuff, DFS, and maybe you can't help us, and I don't really know how to help people, but at the same time, is there an important lesson or something that, like, some advice you'd give to a new – I know the advice I would give is just sign up for your freaking site and just start playing around that. Yeah. You'll probably get a little more info on that. But at the same time, yeah. what about um, you, like specifically? To me, the big thing is ownership and roster construction. And and I guess we've already covered we've already covered knowing which contests you like to play in. Yep. Um, and sticking with that. Don't like do a three dollar win one hundred and fifty dollars and then all of a sudden start spending all that money trying to thinking that you're going to do it again the next week. But exactly. the, the big thing is, is that let's say you're even just building three lineups, make sure that you don't have a whole lot of overlap. I know a lot of guys like to go with core fours and they'll switch out like two guys in there. And when you do that, you're basically putting a four person parlay on all three of those teams. So yes, if those four guys do good, now you have two other teams or three other teams that, two guys could do well. So, yeah, I mean, you're not yeah. really getting yourself to any advantage where there's 60 guys, 65 plus guys that make the cut. You can easily build three lineups that might have one or two guys that overlap that you really like. Okay. Typically when I do overlap more often than not, it'll be down in that bottom range where I find a value that, that I like that allows me to, you know, get other guys in there. So I, I am also not a big fan of going all in on anybody. Like right. if I'm doing 20 lineups, same okay. thing. It's like, I, but again, I'm looking for a good chance to have something to root for on Sunday. You know, okay. um, you, you could go for all the monies and you know, if you're going to go a hundred percent DJ, just go put, go put a, you know, whatever your thing is at six to one on him. To right. win, and you're not you're you're more likely to win six to one on that than you are to win six times your your entries in DraftKings. Usually, so right, yeah. Um, Joe, I tour picks. Hell yes, I love it. Cheers to you. Do you have a process 
to your week? Is it the same every time? Cause you're putting things together in your mind to get your video right on Tuesdays. Does it kind of just start Mondays when the betting board comes out or do you have a routine? Yeah, it really starts when the board comes out. So I really kind of start with the, the betting lines. Uh, once I get those, I have a little bit of a, a, you know, a formula, so to speak, that I try to stick to. And I tweak every week here and there just to uh, make adjustments to it because it's it's never spot on and it's never consistent. Um, but I look at, you know, I, I look at course history a little bit. I look at recent form. I pull some stats from Fantasy National. And then most of all, I sort of factor in a personal bias. Like I'm not betting thousands of dollars. So I like to bet guys that I want to root for. Yeah. Um, and what's the fun? Yeah, exactly. So I like to make it fun. And then along the same lines, I, I kind of look at the numbers with DFS. And if they're comparable to those betting lines, a lot of times I'll cross that over and play the same guys. But oftentimes there are guys at different price points um, on the odds board. And then they're much higher priced in a different bracket, so to speak, for DFS. So I kind of look at that. Um, but it all starts with the odds. Um, and I work my way down from there. It's Zachary Turcott for the Fantasy Golf Insiders. He's here. Cheers to you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I got a furious beer. I got a Vikings hat. I got a wild shirt. I got a mug with the state of Minnesota. We're rocking it out, dude. This is a let's represent. Good stuff, man. Good, glad to be here. Well, so are you guys kind of higher stakes players? Because I played for like five bucks or whatever this year or $3 a lineup. And Zach Ertz took like $50 from me catching a touchdown yeah. on Monday night at the last second. It was like the worst. It could have gone to anyone else and I wouldn't have lost anyone. And I took 50 away. And 50 is decent amount of entries for me. So, I mean, obviously $100,000 is out of the huge hit against your bankroll. Well, that was, yeah, that was, <clears throat> that was, the, that was, uh, no, I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not up in the stratosphere with some of the other bigger names for me you're not an empire maker uh no yeah right i mean i i have no problem playing against those guys i I see them in all the cash games every week like so for so for golf the the majority of my funds go towards cash games um the 50 50s jeff is primarily on the gpp side and that's sort of how we we write our columns and in, in terms of our areas of, of expertise where we okay, perfect this is great because guess what i've been talking to gpp players basically that's all i've had on here that's yeah. all we are i am at least right, so right. what's the cash strategy now is there a cash strategy or are you thinking it's like you just play the right plays you play the good plays there's really enough to it well there's you can definitely make mistakes in, in cash games i mean you see guys you see guys get too fancy i mean for a long time there were guys who there were guys who would make the argument that there's no difference between a cash game lineup and a GPP lineup. And I always have just said for golf, that's, that's fundamentally wrong. Um, you know, football, you can get away with that a lot of the time just because of the fact that there's no cut. Like if your guys don't perform well in the first half, you don't lose half your team or a couple players on your team. Whereas in golf, if you get, if you get wild, if you get crazy with, with a certain play, it can end your whole line. It can end your whole week. All at once. And, and I think the big way of looking at it is that, you know, you're not, I'm not as worried about, uh, about chalk plays in, in okay. golf, right? So if my whole lineup, if my lowest own golf, my, my, my lowest own golfer is, is like a 30% golfer going in, that's a, that's a win for me. I'm already feeling good about my team. It's, it's those people who isolate themselves on an island and go for that 1% owned player where they're the only person owning them overall. Let's think of it this way. If that player, if that player hits and you end up with like a first place lineup that week, you don't want any more than the guy who finished right in the middle. 
if that one percent guy misses the cut though you're you're almost dead at that point unless it was unless it was really just a, a complete chalk smash that week where nobody's nobody's chalk players made the cut so you know you can end up with that one percent guy uh, missing the cut and it doesn't hurt any of the other teams that are out there so, I mean, so that's your a, your focus is I'm taking good plays regardless of chalk. And your are you starting yeah. the week looking at the names that are going to make the cut? Is that the most important factor yeah, to you? I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for value. Yeah, that's that's really what I'm I'm looking for is 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 value. So you see, and it's it's different, and it changes. I mean, if it's a no cut event, obviously the strategy has to adjust. You know, at that point, you're going to open up what you want to own, and you'll probably own a lot more of the guys that are have the potential to win the tournament you know you might own the Justin Thomas or the or the Rory McIlroy just because you're not getting punished as much if you take that $6,700 player and he doesn't he doesn't do quite so I mean maybe he's like 45th place or something but it doesn't cost you nearly as much as if he is if you were to miss the cut so um, so yeah from, from that regard yeah I think you definitely have to think of it differently because I, I look at I look at the lineups for players every week and I still feel like people aren't really fully em embracing the concept. You'll still see a lot of people paying up uh, big in, in weeks where there's not that deep of a player pool overall so that they're really just kind of guessing on their bottom three or four players and hoping for the best. And that's going to work some of the time, but even, even in like a great season, right? Say it's a season where like last year, McElroy's a player of the year. He won three times, right? So, I mean, there's, there's probably four or five times where if you have him on your team, and you missed badly with one or two guys at the bottom, it, it still worked out. It still paid off. But there's still plenty of times when he finishes ninth or 12th or, you know, 25th. And there's even going to be a couple times a year where he, where, he, where he misses the cut. So I've just never really seen a lot of extra value in, in full cut events in paying up to go after those guys. So typically my cutoff point in cash games is going to be somewhere in the mid to high 9,000s range overall and then i'll just kind of play it from there depending on how much depth there is available within the field what kind of values are available okay do you have the same process each week what's your process like you have the show on monday i mean yep. you're writing articles tuesday they get published you're making lineups wednesday is that typical yeah that's kind of how it works i mean yeah i, I try to start a little bit ahead of time so you know, the, the, the guys actually have to, all they have to do is by Friday sort of declare that they're in the tournament. So usually late Friday afternoon, you'll see the next week's field. And I'll start to kind of look over that field, who's going to be there. I try to figure out how weak or strong that field is going to be ahead of time, because that, that's going to kind of shape my, my strategy or my approach uh, overall. I'll look back over at, at previous tournament histories. I'll start to kind of build my own Excel file to just look at history and form. So hopefully by Saturday and Sunday, I've, I've, I've had a little bit of a look before all the numbers come out on Monday. So then Monday, I'll, I'll start putting all that stuff out. I'll start publishing some of the tools online. We always have to wait a little while for the odds to come out and then the prices to come out. We've got our developer who kind of builds and puts everything together for us. That usually comes out right around like six, seven o'clock at night or so. He's got everything up and loaded. By then, I've already done a decent amount of research, but by that point, I'll start to kind of look over the, the texture of the field. I'll, I'll try to see, you know, is this, is it going to be a week where there's a lot of value plays or where there's a lot of guys in the middle range, or is it so bereft of talent that I'm really going to be stacking on the top end and then just taking a lot of flyers uh, below that. So I try to already have the research picture at least somewhat ready to go before we jump in, do the podcast, and then I start to put everything else together. So yeah, Monday is all 
tools that we put up online, doing all the prep work, doing the show. And then I try to, I try to build my player pool um, on that Monday night so that by Tuesday, once I finally stop procrastinating <laughs> and sit down in front of my computer, I can just write straight through and uh, and not have to stop too much to go back on anything. On a full field event, 150-ish players, how many are in your player pool? Are you cutting it in half? Do you play 150 lineups? Are you one of those people? I Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll generally focus most of my attention on the cash games. So, I mean, generally... So then you really only need a one team, really, right? Yeah, I'm usually a one-lineup guy in cash games. Um, so I'll play... Anywhere usually between $1,000 to $2,000 of, of, of cash games every week. And that's kind of the majority of my play. And then I'll typically build 100 to 150 lineups in whatever small ball offering DraftKings has. So if they have like the $5 drive the green where they've got 100000 up top, then I'll build, I'll build 150 lineups uh, for that. Are you using a separate total. player pool entirely then for that? Well, I've only got one cash lamp, so that's only six guys. Oh, okay, so, so then you don't care. Yeah, okay. So right. so then I'll typically build a player pool. I, I would think my average player pool comes in around 35 players or so okay. if I'm building that many lamps, 35 to 40. And even there, I'll try to work with our subscribers because they always want that perfect number. But there's not, you know, there's there really isn't like a, there really isn't like a perfect number to, to go with. I always try to explain it. My, my philosophy is I am looking to be – I'm looking to be like a, like a sniper, right? I mean, if you're, if you're firing a gun at a target, you know, you're trying to hit, you're trying to hit a bullseye, right? I want to be like a, I want to be like a sniper. Like I'm, I'm trying to hit one small spot in the bullseye okay, in terms okay, of my target. Okay. So that, so in that regard, I'm trying to limit my player pool down so that when I hit, I'm very heavily concentrated with a lot of different bullets up at the top, as opposed to, you know, if I've got 75 play, right. If I'm just spraying it with a shotgun kind of approach, I mean, so I've always tried to tell people it, I think it's kind of a mistake just to play guys, you know, if you're building 150 lineups to have a guy in there, you know, some $60, $600 player in there one time. I mean, even if that guy, if that guy happens to win the tournament, you still have to hope that he made it through on a, on a six of six team where six of six might've only been, you know, a 5% hit overall for the week. So I try to give myself extra bullets of, you know, if I'm going to play a guy, I want to have enough conviction to at least play him on, three, four, five teams overall. So that, you know, if you do have that week where that off the wall kind of player wins, you've got a few chances there to get him through um, on, on a completed lineup. So for, you know, for me, I say a little smaller player pool, but then you're going to expect a little more volatility, right? You're going to have, you're going to have bigger weeks when you hit, but you're going to have bigger losses when, when you whiff. Whereas if you're spread out a little more and you own, uh, you know, a set percentage of each of the guys, that are up at the top and in the middle and you don't really take any big fades any anywhere, then yeah, you're not going to lose as much, but it's going to be tougher for you to hit the big prize, which you need to do if you're going to be successful in GPPs. On FGI, you have a lot of stats you can play with. Do you have a go-to stat? What's your favorite stat? My favorite? I mean, I, I don't know that there's, <clears throat> I don't know that there's any individual one, right? Cause if a stat in and of itself, I mean, if you're looking at like strokes gain, tee to green, right? I mean, that's that's probably going to be your best stat that you're going to want to look at all the time. But at the same time, if you're looking at that number over, you know, a five-year period or a two-year period or even a one-year period, it can mean a lot of different things. You know, so if you're looking at it, like if you're looking at a guy's stats right now from 
2019 that might be a decent representation of, of where that player is at but maybe it's maybe somebody's taken a big step forward in their game or maybe they've fallen off you know so you have to you have to have some context behind it so i mean all the all the strokes gain stats i think are fantastic but you also have to kind of understand where the player is at within a given period of time to make it kind of relevant to your process for sure but he's a co-founder and a ceo of dailyfantasyinsider.com justin mcmahon at justin mcmahon on twitter he's with us today justin welcome <laughs> cheers so then what's your weekly process like and did it change once you won a bunch of money did you start playing for higher stakes at that point yeah, I did. I did up my stakes once I won like my first 100k prize. I found now I've actually I've kind of shifted my play where I do less low stakes and just go into like the highest one, um, particularly for sports like NBA and golf, um, where you can predict ownership so easily. Um, like the chalk is so obvious in those sports. And I've found that like, you can get a long run positive expected value by fading some like 50, 60% on guys, um, especially when, you know, if there's a pretty equal compare, like if there's a comparable play that you can use as a pivot, um, it's not so much about the, you think the chalk will bust. You just think someone else could be equal. So there's no reason to play the chalk. So I, that's kind of my process. Like if I'm a, if I have chalk in my lineup, I think, is there another guy that has, that I project about the same? And if so, why don't I just switch to him? Um, so that's kind of how I try to, how I try to build. And then I'll join higher. If I'm playing low on guys, I'll join higher stakes because I want the chalk to be even, even chalkier so that I'm either going to lose because of them or I'll do really well. So I want it to be as amplified as possible. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what everyone said so far. And what I kind of do too, you just kind of like avoid some chalk, but at the same time, are you eating chalk? Even if everybody's on it because it's a $4,600 running back, that's going to get 30 carries. I mean, is there a point where you just eat the golf chalk or what? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I don't, I don't decide the must-haves uh, for DFI. We have right. golf analysts that are really good. Um, they finished first last year among like 30 companies that were ranked with their public picks. And I think they were third the year before that. Um, okay. So I try not to meddle too much with the picks. So I'll, I'll chime in with like some game theory thoughts Um you know, try to steer them away from chalk if possible. But, but if they say that you have to play chalk, then I do. Like, I'm not just always anti-chalk. It's okay. just if I'm, if I'm, if I am choosing between two pretty equal candidates, but if they're saying a guy, if Paul Casey's a lock at 7,200 and the masters and he's like 50% on, if they, if he's a must have, I'm going to play him regardless. Cause okay. I don't want to just be an idiot. <laughs> right. No, you could level yourself. I mean, we, Adam Levitan said that all year. Um, what about the, like you said, you mentioned you only play one lineup. So then therefore, are you using that different in cash that you are in GBP? Are you even playing cash games? What's your um, I usually, selection? I try to play cash, um, like side bets with other people um, okay. that are also playing it. I just, I don't, I don't mind paying the rake for the GPPs because I think DraftKings is providing a true service by setting up that structure that allows everyone to pay in and have the winners take a lot more. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just going to play head-to-head against somebody I know in the industry, like why, why would I pay rake? Um, it just doesn't make sense. So um, I, try not, I, don't, I don't usually play a whole lot of cash games. I'm more of a GBP guy because I like trying to pivot to low ownership and there's no reason to do that in cash. So I usually just go all GBPs, especially in golf. 
And then, so then you're only using one lineup through all the GPPs? Yeah, I pretty much make one lineup and just put it in every contest. Just and that goes time. for all the sports, regardless? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, every so now you don't and have then, a lot of that FOMO where you're like, crap. I do this all the time because I pick 21 guys and then my 22nd, 3rd, and 4th guy is the always ones that do well. <laughs> yeah, well, the only FOMO I have is like when you have just one lineup, you have to make some tough decisions at the end. So, oh, true. Um, so it's the same like thing. I, like I swapped off uh, the guy this morning that had an albatross like hold out from like 250 yards. And I was like, ah, oh. but like, so like that, that kind of can be frustrating, but it happens to every DFS player. It's no matter what, if you have 150 lineups or, you know, I feel like with 150, you think, oh my gosh, I have all the best players in my player pool. And what then there's no, lineup that, there's no lineup that has them. And so that's, that's just the still thing. Oh God. Yeah. Again, it goes back. Circle back. It is gambling and it's for fun. So do whatever you want. Do what's for fun for you. And if it's building 150 right. lineups with all the players, great. Go for it. Yeah. I, uh, I've always just found it so much more fun having one lineup. I feel like it's fun to be just all in rooting for rooting for yeah. stuff. And Dude, you're dying on a hill. I love it. That's yeah. the way you go. You're going to either win or lose. And that's the way it is. And you've definitely done well. So clearly the strategy is working for you. So it's whatever. Don't try to overthink yourself but is there a one piece of advice for a new person maybe someone's just brand new to dfs or they're thinking about getting into it is there something that you would just besides obviously joining your website and going into the war room what would you do what would you say to them as like a rule of thumb for pga yeah um a good rule of thumb for pga but and for any sport um if you're new enough to dfs that you're eligible to play in contests that are under three dollars um, which is a lot of people. Um, it's most probably most people, but you'll all the sharks are not allowed to play in contests that are three dollars or less. Like they don't even. I don't see three dollar contests in my lobby. I don't oh, really? see the quarter arcade. I don't see the one dollar. No, like I forget oh, that they fun. exist. Um, but those are the contests that you want to be focusing on. If you want to get a hundred dollars in action on a slate, um, maybe join like the big ten dollar GP so that you have the full upside if you hit the nuts and win a hundred k. But other than that, I would just join tons of one, two dollar, three dollar contests, like head to heads, double ups, all the small GBPs, like the hundred man one dollars. If you could get all your action in on at that entry level, you'll just have way more success. Especially if you're using picks, like if you're using the war room, then you're getting like kind of professional level picks, but you get to use them at the amateur level. So that's that's the best strategy that works for every sport and people that are struggling and like 30, they're joining like a $33 GBP for their whole, all their GBP exposure. And when they switch to doing a bunch of one and $2, they have way more success. Dude, it's way more fun. And granted you can't win a million dollars and like buy an Island or whatever. And you're not going to go to the playboy (laughs) mansion if you win one of these things, but at the same time, you're going to win a thousand dollars or maybe 500 bucks. And if you, and if you have success, if you have enough success at that level that you're building up, then maybe you start scaling up. But if you're not even building your bankroll much at that level, then you really sh- shouldn't be playing in the even higher levels. Um, so, All right, there it was. The Fantasy Golf Pod strategy video. Thank you for watching. Like and subscribe. We'll see you this season coming to you each and every week on the Fantasy Golf Pod YouTube channel and on iTunes. Subscribe, like, review, rate. Follow along. Thanks again. See you later. Bye.